Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christophe. Thanks for being with us. This is the 159th edition of the program. Thanks for tuning in. On the broadcast this week, I'm going to be featuring two excerpts from conversations I had with community organizers and activists in New York City. I've been looking at the story of the East Village, Alphabet City, Lower East Side of New York, this area where artists and activists over many decades struggled together to win buildings, meaning that people had squatted abandoned properties and over time battled against municipal authorities, uh, police departments in New York, uh, NYPD, and private developers to actually win properties for the community. This also extended to community gardens. Many abandoned lots were reimagined, designed, and turned into beautiful spaces with stages, uh, spaces to gather, hold meetings uh, for the arts. Um, And this whole process in the East Village or Lower East Side of Manhattan, I think is a very important example of a living, concrete uh, situation where community activism won and people were able to confront gentrification and win direct um, demands and actually win housing. And um, this story is important. So I will feature two exchanges that I recorded. One is with Bill De Paolo, who is the founder of the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space, which once was called C-Squat. That's on Avenue C in Manhattan. And uh, he talks about the context and the situation in the Lower East Side at the time of the squatting movement. And I also spoke with Yasmin Abdullah, who is involved in both the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space and ABC No Rio, which now is a roving arts organization that has been uh, creating community-oriented exhibitions and concerts for many years. They used to have a space in the East Village in Manhattan, and now, due to gentrification, they lost that space, but they've been continuing to uh, hold events and projects, uh, arts-oriented community activist projects across the city. So Yasmin talks about that. I will share these two conversations back to back. We'll first hear from Bill DePaulo, who is not just a housing rights activist, but also is a longtime environmentalist and cycling advocate in New York. Him, among many others, were involved in the critical mass movement, which was the mass direct actions where people bike together and block traffic to demand uh, bike paths in New York. That might not seem like a radical action today, the demand for bike pass, but at the time, there really wasn't any. Um, This is just in the early 2000s. So Bill also comes from the context of a a environmental justice and cycling advocacy movement within Manhattan. And Yasmin has been involved in all sorts of activist networks uh, in the city, including within the context of the Lower East Side, which we hear about here. So here's my conversations with Bill DePaulo of the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space and Yasmin Abdullah, who um, also works with ABC No Rio on Free City Radio. Okay, Bill DePaulo with the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space. Uh, the city was broke. 
they, I mean, uh, people took over the neighborhood, abandoned buildings, abandoned gardens, but there was activists down here, artists and musicians, mm -hmm. and the music really held everything together. So what happened was when the city got better on their feet after people had fixed up the gardens, fixed up that, created a new sustainable lifetime, people were bicycling, recycling, it was a whole community activity that the people had made happen without permission, just no one cared about it. It was a bad time financially, the neighborhood was run down and the community fixed it up. So then what happened was the, com the city then pushed in and said, hey, it was great, you guys fixed up the neighborhood, but we're going to now gentrify it. So people assembled in the park known as the Tompkins Square Park riots and were holding that space to organize mm -hmm. the police then saw that this wasn't 50% of the people, this wasn't 20% of the people, this was 99% of the people were not happy, well, not 90, at least 95%, mm -hmm. uh, not just without the business people, were not happy with gentrification. And they just didn't talk it up. They defended with bottles, with their bodies, with words, with music. So the city had to rethink their strategy of mm -hmm. coming back in and weaken this high percentage. And what they saw was that there was a band shell in the park and every week there would be music mm -hmm. and then the music was really creating this powerhouse thing that the city couldn't get by. So in rethinking their attack, wow. they did this kind of crazy philosophy, which known as COINTELPRO or known as like divide and conquer. Um, and it showed you how much they were thinking about it. And they attacked the music first. Interesting, not attacking, wow. you know, and how did they attack the music? They went after these squats, which were kind of like having the punk shows. They uh, went, uh, said, if you started playing music without a permit, we're going to arrest you. I mean, we'll give you a ticket. And then the biggest thing is where they, they bulldozed the band shell, which was the place where there was electricity and there were shows being held. You know, it was like a cover in Tompkins Square Park. So they uh, attacked the music and were in a squat called Sea Squat which is a punk squad, and we still have the backspace. Uh, so music had a lot to do with, you know, activism years ago. Um, and certainly, I, in my opinion, you know, as an activist and a, someone mm -hmm. who likes new wave music, there was like the mods, mm -hmm. there was the rockers, you know, they had battles in Brighton Beach about different ideologies. Uh, when I was growing up in New York City, it was an incredible place for music because there was no internet, there was no Facebook or YouTube. There was no way to get information. So a band who mm -hmm. mostly came from Europe would hit New York City first. And you got to see this band by the time they got to California, they were already famous. So you got to see incredible music. The first place they came to from Europe was New York City. So you would see all these punk bands and all these kind of revolutionary ideas were related to that, which was kind of related to this neighborhood as well um and so there's a long history of music and activism what can you just describe briefly where where we are oh uh we are in a museum that i created called the museum of reclaimed urban space and we're not going too far it's a history museum but we don't go back too far in history because we feel history is a lie it's all written by the rich it's mostly print so we're basing it on pictures and videos, mm. stuff that we've seen. So we only go back maybe like 20 years. I mean, sometimes we'll tell the story further, but we need to back it up with pictures and videos. 
and it's kind of what young people want, although they don't even know what they want. But in general, they want the truth. That's what people are struggling for every day when they get on mm-hmm. the internet. Who's telling the truth? And the the truth can be related to body cams by police. The truth can be related to cameras in the sky or or your cell phone, right? So they're basing their truth on what they can see because there's so many lies out there. And then they're just rethinking their whole history. And that's why they all were ripping down the monuments and ripping down these pictures in their schools and, and really questioning who's the Koch brothers funding the museums and the institutions. So it's kind of a new revolution and the museum is on the right, we are on the right, right wavelength mm-hmm. and we're in a real building where we can show it off. We're in a squat, so we tell people it's possible. We're surrounded by these community gardens. So then we do programming. We show it is possible from the ground up, but young people seem to be a little lazy, and they're all protesting for the government to make change. So we're showing them that's not the way it was done. People did Skillshare. They fixed up the buildings. They fixed up the gardens. They started riding their bike. They grew their own food. It was done from the ground up. Of course, the city tried to erase that history, but we have the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So do we have a chance really to archive and make a difference? Not really, but what's happening is a lot of other museums are copying us and uh, putting a community component in their museum and then ducking their heads to see if they can get away with it, right? And then they usually do because people kind of want it, right? But they have to start off light, possibly with a community garden exhibit, maybe a non-polluting transportation exhibit, and then they can get deeper in. And we're seeing that. And we're actually lending out a lot of our archives One just came back from the museum, the Met, and another one came back from um, the City of New York Museum. So we actually have some rare stuff uh, for a small museum that other museums want. And it's mostly because in that era, Mm -hmm. it was negatives and slides and there's only a one-time thing. So who do you really want to give that to? You don't want to give that to a corporate museum or something. You're scared. So we have more access to people trusting us. Uh, with the history of older material. Mm. Uh, we just don't have the budget to kind of archive it. Um, so it's all kind of ideas now. And a lot of these ideas are getting copied, which is kind of cool. I don't really like copying with the environmental group that started the museum, Time's Up, but with the museum, we kind of like copying. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Um, your work has been multifaceted both as a, as an artist but also as um, a community worker looking at art the role of artists and gentrification in the east village of new york which is very important often there is a narrative that simply locates artists as the most essential sort of shock troops of gentrification But I think it's really interesting to think about other possibilities and also tangible examples of artists who were actually involved in combating gentrification um, and the squat movement in the Lower East Side and the artist spaces that some of which still remain are an important example of that. So it's great to, to speak with you. Maybe we could just start, could you introduce yourself and a bit about your work in that neighborhood? Sure. Um, my name is Yasmin Abdallah, and um, I started working with the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space. I um, can't remember exactly, I think 2017 maybe. And um, I joined the ABC No Rio Visual Arts Committee in 2018. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm 
you know, a visual artist and an art educator. Um, and art sort of my vehicle for activism and community building. Um, and so it was interesting to see what, you know, prior generations had done with um, the idea of creating public space. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the role of the artist, it's kind of complicated because there is sort of that, like you were saying, like that complicity in a sense where it's the first wave of gentrification a lot of times um, where artists kind of come in and other people take notice and start to move in. Um, so I think in a way it's also an obligation of the artist to help combat that. Um, and what I saw um, in the East Village um, is, you know, the ways that activists um, in different capacities were pushing back, um, you know, against gentrification through demonstrations and protests, um, you know, in, in different forms, whether it's creating, you know, public art events and parades or wheat pasting or, um, you know, protesting the development of historic buildings that provide, you know, classes and space and um, shelter and a lot of things that are necessary for a community to, um, you know, to take care of itself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think artists need to be aware <laughs> that, uh, you know, our roles are uh, sort of, you know, can be problematic, but we can also you know, use our skills to, to be allies for the communities um, that we're in. Thanks so much for sharing that. So you mentioned a bunch of points there. Uh, working in public space, and you mentioned um, uh, street art, um, sort of public art performances in the East Village, um, and you've also mentioned this idea of development. Um, so I guess that brings up like development for who um, and um, artists have often like used public space to problematize this concept of development as simply like, um, you know, the natural progress of a neighborhood, quote unquote. Um, but you've mentioned two spaces where a lot of those contestations were expressed, uh, ABC No Rio and the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space. Some people listening won't know what those spaces are. So could you maybe just share a bit about what those spaces are and then um, share if you can think of a few examples of ways that different tactics were used by artists to problematize this sort of concept of quote-unquote development. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, well, with the case with the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space, um, it's a living history museum um, that is in a former squat. Um, so it was a lot of, you know, um, a lot of people that, you know, broke into buildings illegally and took up residence um, in buildings that, you know, had been abandoned and were in various states of disrepair. And um, they had a very long um, drawn out, you know, um, battle with the city and eventually, um, the city helped, you know, gave in and, um, the squats that hadn't been destroyed, um, you know, by the police or, you know, um, you know, if you're interested, you can read more about it, but, uh, you know, but the ones that survived basically, um, 
the deal was that there needed to be some, you know, some space on the ground level that um, served the needs of the community. Um, and so for the museum, that was to document um, and educate um, about how it came to be. Um, and so, yeah, it's volunteer run. Um, you know, we all kind of come in with different backgrounds and different interests and um, do different types of programming. Um, and it's all under that umbrella um, of, you know, how do we educate the public about the history through art, through uh, performance, through, you know, films, film festivals, um, you know, through activism, through protest, um, you know, so there's history, there's ecology, um, there's a lot of different moving parts to it. Um, and I really like that because you really get to meet people um, that are outside of your periphery, you know, I get to work with, you know, archivists and historians and, um, you know, people from different generations and from all over that are really kind of united in this goal of, you know, how do we make programming free and accessible, um, which is really great. Um, whereas ABC No Rio is also, you know, um, sort of coming out of that same uh, origin where it's the idea of, you know, there's all of these empty buildings and, you know, uh, you know, artists are, you know, creating space, um, creating community. Um, and so those are all visual artists or performance artists in some capacity. So we're all kind of united in this idea that, you know, visual art has the power to transform um, and to bring people together. And so we get to kind of really kind of dive deep into concepts and different ways of programming. Um, and the building is currently in exile. So it's uh, under construction, which is, you know, uh, in a slow but hopefully steady um, stage. And one day we'll have a new building. But um, in the interim, it's been under in exile. So there's been we've had to do programming and uh, host spaces. Um, so having to write applications and proposals and reach out to, um, you know, other spaces to do programming as sort of, you know, guest um, curators or exhibitors um, adds another challenge, but it also does extend that network, which, which I think is cool. Yeah. Right on. Thanks for sharing that. So in this last response, and, and it was great to hear about all these details, you mentioned the battles with police in New York City around particular buildings. And um, having read a bit about this history and talked to people, you know, it's quite clear that there was a lot of artists that were directly involved in those protests um, who actually... Um, tried to fight attempts from New York City administration, municipal administration under Giuliani to um, basically evict people who had set up studios or living quarters or community spaces within buildings in the Lower East Side. Um, so some of those battles resulted in these buildings being preserved but could could you talk a bit about the fact that artists were actually involved in those frontline protests because it really challenges this idea that there's simply you know one role for artists in this question of gentrification yeah i mean a lot of the um 
you know, the, the artists that were young um, when all of this was happening, you know, the 80s, the 90s, um, you know, are some of them are still around and it's really amazing to talk to them and to hear, you know, their first uh, first person oral histories. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's one artist, Jerry, the peddler who made all these posters and was, um, you know, creating all of the stuff for the Tompkins Square Park um, protests. And, you know, the police were coming in and closing the parks early at night and um, really trying to push, you know, they were trying to close public space, which was really the only park in the area for families, for people. And uh, they were really kind of... Um, attacking like the um the unhoused people that were living in the parks um and so you know artists used their skills to you know create um you know visual propaganda if you will that really kind of spoke to their missions just just basic human rights you know that people have the right to you know clean air and public space and that helps to really make aware people in New York and outside the city, you know, I mean that, you know, you have photographers where it was getting national coverage. Um, and honestly, the embarrassment that the city felt, you know, that backlash, I think that really helped in, you know, um, getting, saving the buildings and, you know, um, removing <clears throat> those restrictions on, you know, the parks. Um, so I think, yeah, I think those are some ways that artists have helped to kind of, you know, preserve space. You mentioned ecology and like questions of environmental protection extending from that in New York City, Lower East Side, Alphabet City. Um, if you go to some of the spaces where there is now community gardens, which now often, you know, green spaces and cities and community gardens are sort of celebrated. That wasn't always the case. Um, so um, within those spaces, you have like a lot of sculptures and sort of like uh, they're made like I've been able to visit and you see like sculptures made with found objects or like sort of handmade towers um, that are very like symbolic structural sculpture works, sculpted works, I guess, often with reclaimed materials. Um, and they're in spaces that bring up this question of ecology. So it seems like in those actual spaces, you have a clear representation of the fact that artists were very important to maintaining them. Yeah, definitely. Um, you really see in each, each garden, um, first of all, it's the highest concentration of community gardens in the entire United States. Um, it just, it's amazing. Um, and those were, yeah, abandoned lots or um, what was left after buildings were demolished. And it was not the city that revitalized them. It was people like you and me. I mean, it was just people, families, individuals that really wanted to create space for people to be. And I think with the pandemic, we really saw how important, you know, just having fresh air and greenery and a public place to be is, um, how much it really helps mental health. And, you know, so yeah, each garden is unique. Each has its, its own personal touches. Um, 
and depending on where the artists frequented, where, you know, proximity to where they lived or, um, you know, their connections to who was running the gardens, um, you'll see all sorts of stuff. You'll see mosaics um, also along like some of the old houses um, where people were reusing um, broken mirrors, um, old bottles, um, and it's embedded in the foundation. So there's something beautiful about that. Um, there's old, you know, tiles from, um, you know, uh, bathrooms. Um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff, a lot of knickknacks, a lot of old toys. Um, there's, um, you know, artists that have created like pinwheels um, along the peripheries from, you know, plastic. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of really great stuff. And um, they also are working, you know, um, to create stuff you know, when they do the layouts, um, you know, they may create paths with old bricks from buildings. Um, so there's a lot of planning. Um, there's a lot of ingenuity and a lot of freedom when you start with nothing to really, you know, reuse materials in a very exciting and creative way where you can really kind of intuitively just, you know, see where it goes. That was Yasmin Abdullah, who is involved with ABC No Rio, which is a roving arts organization founded in the East Village of Manhattan, uh, Lower East Side. And we also heard from Bill Topalo, who is one of the founders of the Mu Museum of Reclaimed Urban Space on C Street in the East Village. These two interviews look at the story of the ways that activists in that neighborhood confronted gentrification and also squatted buildings. Uh, artists, activists, community members, low-income residents uh, fought gentrification and actually won demands, both being able to turn abandoned buildings into housing and also uh, defend uh, the community gardens that had sprung up in abandoned lots throughout the neighborhood. This is a very important story, um, so I wanted to feature it here on Free City Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another edition of the program. We have a weekly show um, and we broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal at, on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. On CGLO 1690 a.m. in Geogeage, Montreal, also on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. CKUW Radio 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, 8 a.m. on Tuesdays. On CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. And on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. We are also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just look up Free City Radio. And our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thanks for tuning in and I'll speak to you next week. Thank mm -hmm. you.